Good evening everyone. If you were here this morning you might have a sense of deja vu because um, Andy began this morning by standing up and saying that the message that he had carefully prepared for this morning he wasn't going to give because he felt that God didn't want him to, to give that one. Well guess what? <laughs> I had a very neat little message all carefully prepared and I'm quite sure we would have had overheads to go with it. It's been boiling around in my head for months so I was quite sure that that was the message that I was going to bring tonight. But two things happened last weekend and that changed my outlook completely. I just cannot get my mind off this particular theme this week. And we're still in the sense of deja vu because one of them came from Mary Gilchrist's message last Sunday morning. Mary spoke to us extremely well about ethical shopping and how we serve God in the way that we shop. And there was one thing that she said that is a very valid question. What good is it going to do the millions of slaves around the world if I just buy one bar of ethically sourced chocolate or one packet of ethically sourced coffee? And then she quoted the little poster <coughs> that's on the back of the toilet in church house. Now I have to say we're back in the toilet today. I've, all the years that that poster's been on the back of the door in that toilet, I've been going to that toilet in church house for many, many years and I've noticed that, that little poster and I've read it and reread it till I could practically quote it off by heart and I know what it means. But it struck me last Sunday morning, it really hit me. Now there are versions of this story. I didn't stand in the toilet and write it out. I got a version off the internet, so that, let me just read you this version, one starfish at a time. Once upon a time there was an old man who used to go to the ocean to do his writing. He had a habit of wa walking on the beach every morning before he began his work. Early one morning he was walking along the shore after a big storm had passed and found the vast beach littered with starfish as far as the eye could see, stretching in both directions. Off in the distance, the old man noticed a small boy approaching. As the boy walked, he paused every so often and as he grew closer, the man could see that he was occasionally bending down to pick up an object and throw it into the sea. The boy came closer still and the man called out, Good morning. May I ask what it is that you're doing? The young boy paused, looked up and replied, throwing starfish into the ocean. The tide has washed them up onto the beach and they can't return to the sea by themselves. When the sun gets high, they will die, unless I throw them back into the water. The old man replied, but there must be tens of thousands of starfish on this beach. I'm afraid you won't really be able to make much of a difference. The boy bent down, picked up yet another starfish and threw it as far as he could into the ocean. Then he turned, smiled and said, it made a difference to that one. And that was the point that Mary was making. We may only shop in small quantities and that just seems a drop in this vast ocean of, um, of wrongly sourced goods. But if we all do our little bit, then that contributes towards changing the way that our goods are sourced. And I thought a lot about the one starfish. 
the individual, helping the individual. But that wasn't the only thing that influenced my thinking. Jan Chick lent me a book before she went away. It's called Call to the Centre by Vivian Wilson. Now, you understand that things in our house were somewhat chaotic over the last few months and I was aware that I had this book but it got buried under a heap of other things and I hadn't got around to reading it. And I thought, oh goodness, I'm sure Jan will be back for Christmas. Perhaps I'd better get the book out and read it. And so I did last weekend. And guess what the theme is? It's all about the same thing, the starfish. Helping the ones and the twos. And I thought, well, all right, there's got to be something in this I need to think about. Vivian Wilson was a health worker, a nurse originally, who went to Rwanda and helped people to get their lives back together after the awful massacres between the Hootsies and the Tootsies. And then she was called to go to the centre of Australia and minister to Aboriginal people. Now, she was well aware of what the difficulties are amongst young people in the centre. She was well aware of the problems of petrol sniffing, of glue sniffing, of alcohol addiction, of the mental and physical problems that they produce, of the high rate of youth suicide, um, the lack of work, the lack of purpose in life, the general hopelessness and despair that exist among so many of Aboriginal young people. She did some training before she went, but she, she developed a vision. As she was there and she looked at these young people and she met with them, she got this vision for a house of hope. And she thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could establish a residential place for disturbed young people to come to, to get off whatever it is they're addicted to, to be taught some basic life skills, to be given back a sense of worth, a sense of purpose in life and helped on their way. Now, that is a tremendous vision. It never eventuated. It never eventuated. Now, I don't know why. Certainly, it would have cost a lot of money, but that's God's problem. If God wants something established, he will provide the money. That's not the basic problem. It just didn't happen. Now, she set up Teen Challenge in Central Australia. She did go to schools and prisons and hospitals. She did teach a modified 12-step program. That's the Alcoholics Anonymous program. One modified for the culture and that would be relevant to the lives of Aboriginal youth. But on the whole, for about 15 years, her work was with the ones and the twos. As she went to different communities in the centre, she would see... Um, youth sniffing petrol or she'd see them under the influence of alcohol or she would visit them in hospital when they'd attempted suicide and had brought uh, uh, tremendous difficulties to their health. She prayed for many of them and God miraculously healed so many people. It was like throwing the starfish back one at a time. It was also a time of great discouragement because frequently for her, it felt like taking one step forward and two steps backward. Because God would do a miracle, 
in the lives of one of these young men, get them off an addiction or heal them and yet months later or a year or two later they would be back on their addiction again or she would hear that they had suicided. It was quite a discouraging work and there are a number of things in this book just along the way that I found really helpful and this is one. Now this is addressed to leaders. If you are leading anything, whether it's a leadership in the church or whether it's something out in the community, these are good words. They really pulled me up. It's a mistake to romanticise the call of God. Receiving his call is not the same as falling into your dream career. Now let me repeat that. Receiving his call is not the same as falling into your dream career. When God called Jeremiah to a people who wouldn't listen, Jeremiah cried so much he became known as the weeping prophet. God may well call us to do something and yet we don't experience what we consider to be reaping a great result. We don't seem to see a great harvest for all the seeds that we sow. It made me wonder, isn't God interested in large numbers? Is God only interested in the one starfish at a time? Well, no. Jesus fed the 5,000. There was a large number. We were reminded a little while ago of the 3,000 who came to Christ when the first Christian sermon was preached. What about the time God brought the entire uh, Jewish nation out of slavery in Egypt and brought them to the promised land? There are times when God talks not just in thousands but in millions. We see at the moment millions of people in Africa coming to faith in Christ under the ministry of people like Reinhard Bonnke. Yes, God is interested in numbers. He told us to go into all the world and make disciples from all nations. And just mean one or two disciples from every nation, I'm quite sure. A multiplicity of disciples from all nations. Yes, God is interested in numbers, but God treats us as individuals. And there are times when we really need to remember that. Not just, we know God treats us as individuals. We've just been singing about it. We sing in our songs about how I relate to God and he relates to me. We come as an individual to God. But in our ministry or in our work with other people, that's how we have to remember that God treats other people as individuals. And I am going to get to scripture, by the way. We're not going to have a message without this scripture. We'll get there in a minute. We're going to read one of the miracles of healing. You know, when Jesus was here on earth, he could have just lifted his arm like a magic wand and asked God to heal every sick person in the land of Israel. And that would have been quite within God's power to do that. But he didn't. He went to people as individuals. And even today as I've thought about this message, 
I see a difference in sometimes in the way that Jesus treated people and I think there's a difference in the way that we do too. You know when it says that at times a whole village would bring all their sick people to Jesus and he healed them all. Now if that's a fair number of people, Jesus didn't have a lot of time to spend with each individual person. That really was just going to each one and fairly quickly asking for their healing, seeing their healing, commanding their healing. Not a lot of time. Nothing more demanded of them. Not, I'll heal you (coughs) if you obey God, I'll heal you if you follow me. His love and compassion just reached out to people who were in need, like the lepers, he healed them and they went on their way and that was the end of that. But there are other stories that speak about his relationship with people. And that's the thing that has really grabbed me. And I want to read my favourite story tonight about the miracles. Because I got to choose which miracle I'd read about, I've chosen my favourite. And I do apologise that I've changed the gospel from the one that we had down in the bulletin. (coughs) I've changed it to Mark. And I'm reading from Mark chapter 5, verse 21. I'm not going to read the whole account. It's quite long. Um, I'm just going to read a part of it. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realised that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. We'll stop it there. You know that the story goes on. In the meantime, Jairus' daughter has died, had died, but that was no problem. Jesus' intention was to heal her. Raising her from the dead was coincidental because when Jesus raised people from the dead, it wasn't like our doctors who can bring you, can resuscitate you, but you're just as sick as you were before you passed out. In Jesus' case, he brought people back from the dead totally healed. So death was no barrier in the case of the little girl. I absolutely love the story of the woman. You notice, first of all, it's a story within a story. That much is obvious. But did you realise it's an interruption within an interruption? Mark begins the story by telling us that Jesus had 
crossed the boat, that crossed the lake by boat and arrived, and there was a great crowd. Now, obviously, they'd come to hear him. We know that Jesus preached to enormous crowds, so there they all were, ready to hear him, when he was interrupted, and Jairus interrupted him to say, "Will you please come and heal my daughter?" Now, that's the first thing to notice. If God calls us to minister to somebody, to help somebody, frequently it's going to come as an interruption. It isn't going to be the time when you sit down and think, I've got two hours and nothing to do. Now, who would like me to go and visit them? Who has a problem that I can ring up? Who has? It doesn't happen like that. It's always when you're on the rush. I remember one day vividly, I don't know where I'd been, I'd been out all day, it was a few years ago, I wasn't quite as tired as I am now but still I was in my 70s and I'd been out and I got home at 4 o'clock and Eric met me at the door and he said, so and so has been ringing for you, they've got a real problem and they would like you to go and visit them now. And without putting my car keys down, I turned around, got in the car and went off to see this person and spent the next hour and a half. Instead of sitting down at home with my feet up with a cup of coffee, which is what I really wanted to do. Things come as an interruption. The the call to minister to people is frequently when our mind is somewhere else and we're on our way to do something else. But Jesus was already on his way to heal Jairus' daughter when along comes the second interruption. And here comes the woman with the hemorrhage as an interruption to an interruption, a story within a story. Now, how many of us, if we had been Jesus that day and the woman had been healed, how many of us would have said, all right, I know somebody's been healed, Um, whoever it was, I'll I'll work it out later, Just, just wait there. I have got to go and heal Jairus' daughter or she'll be dead, so I've got to run now, I'll come back and I'll talk to you later. No. He gave his full time and his full attention to that woman as if she were the only person on the planet. That story just grabs me about Jesus. There was no waiting, I'll get back to you. It's you have a need. Jairus' daughter's fine, I'll look after her. You have a need. You have my full attention. I will meet that need. I love that. I love it that she says, it says she told him the whole truth. Now, for 12 years, this woman had suffered with this illness and it says she'd gone from doctor to doctor and she'd spent all her money. Now, this is a woman with 12 years of illness How long do you think it it took her to tell Jesus the whole truth? (laughs) Is your time frame expanding? Heaven help anybody that's talked to me in the last few weeks and I've told you the whole truth about notifying all the authorities about Eric's death. I'm sorry for all the people whose ears I've assaulted in the last few weeks with all the horror stories of that because I'm a woman and I like to tell you everything. And so was she. I I cannot get my head out of that picture. In my head, I see Jairus. Can you see Jairus hopping 
from foot to foot with impatience. He couldn't very well yell at Jesus, for goodness sake, stop it and come back to her later. You said you'd come and heal my daughter. Please, please come and do it. couldn't very well say all that, but can't you see his body language? I'm quite sure he didn't just stand there very patiently waiting. This story isn't just about healing. Now, there were times when Jesus just simply healed somebody and moved on, I'm quite sure. But this story is about building a relationship. It took time. It took time for Jesus to start establishing a relationship with this lady that I'm quite sure went on. I'm quite sure that she was one of the first ones who... um, became a member of the church and went on to teach others and to pass on those healing gifts to other people as well. And that, to, to me, is what our relationship with people in the community should be about. It is about relationship. There are times when you meet somebody in the street, they have a need, you see the need, you say, can I pray for you? They go your way, I go my way. And that's that. We set up a healing ministry. I'm sure there'll be times when people just come and ask for healing. They're prayed for. They go. That's it. But so many times what God is interested in, in our dealings with people, is that we build a relationship with them. And coming back to this story, that's what happened with a lot of these young people that Vivian Wilson met up with. She built relationships with them. It wasn't about building um, a centre where people could come and be ministered to and, and find a new way of life and do all of that in large numbers. It was about God using her and some of her other helpers in an individual, personal way to speak to individuals. Now, there's a couple of things that occur to me that could be an application for this. And one of them is, I don't know what anybody is doing here. I don't know if in your ministry to other people, in your, in your attempts to contact other people, either inside or outside the church, whether you've grown discouraged. I don't know whether not seeing fruit for your labour has in any way put you off. You know, some years ago, Bob Dennis, um, in order to keep up his accreditation as a minister with the Baptist Union, was doing some in-service study and they were reading some books and then meeting and talking about them and he passed the books on to me. And I have to tell you, they disturbed me greatly they can be very, the Baptist Union can be very thankful it wasn't me taking part in the discussion or I'd have torn strips off them. Because these books were American and they talked about if you establish a new ministry, if you hire a new associate pastor, if you, if you um, confirm someone in leadership in a ministry, give them 12 months and if you're not seeing fruit for their labour, they can move on. Close the ministry, do something else. What arrant nonsense. 
We don't always see huge results. Sometimes God calls us to persevere under what seem to us almost insurmountable difficulties. I'm going to read you another little um, phrase from this. I'll, I'll come back to it in a minute. If you're feeling discouraged because you're not seeing much result for your ministry, then be encouraged. If God has called you into that ministry, persevere in it. I spent the first three years of my career in Girls' Brigade not understanding one single word about Girls' Brigade. I was the dumbest leader that was ever, ever commissioned. I don't say that lightly. I've got a university degree and a diploma and I'm a school teacher, or I was a school teacher. I couldn't understand a jolly word about any of it. I ended up the National Commissioner. <laughs> Only because I persevered. I knew that that was what God had called me to and I spent the first three years with my own two children under three and also minding my nephew four days a week as well and he was younger, I, I just spent that three years, it was just pure hell. I did not know what I was doing from one day to the next. But God called me to persevere in that. So if there is anybody who is feeling discouraged, let me encourage you, persevere in what you're doing. Because God's interest is in the individual, not in necessarily in the large numbers and I've lost the reference and pardon me. <sighs> I meant to read this to you earlier but I'm not even looking at my notes so sorry about that. This again is, rele is relevant to the starfish. I'm sorry, this is maddest, one of the maddest sermons I've ever put together, but never mind. It seems to ramble on, but however. Um, when um, Vivian had been away from Alice Springs out on a trip somewhere, she came back and she dreamt she had been feeding a malnourished Aboriginal baby. I asked God, where are the other babies the reply was, one baby at a time is all that is needed. And that's just like the starfish. And that, that was a picture from God. Those words were from God. But the other thing that occurred to me about having these thoughts at this time, maybe there's something in this for our church. Maybe we're not meant to be the hill song of the upper mountains. Maybe we are. I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying yay or nay to this. I'm only putting this out as an idea. But maybe we're not intended by God to have hundreds of people, so many that we can't cram them in the church. And maybe we're not intended to have 150 young people coming or 100 uh, children to our kids' church or, and so on. Maybe we're not intended to have those huge numbers. Maybe we are just intended to care for and nurture the ones that we've got. The young people we've got in our youth group, the kids we've got in kids' church, the people who are in our home groups and so on. The one baby at a time, the one starfish at a time. When you meet people out in the community, again, maybe God's not calling you to go and talk to 50 people. Maybe he's only calling you to go and talk to the one or the two. But if I can come back 
to the Great Commission where Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, where obviously we're looking at numbers. What happens if you nurture two people into the kingdom of God, help them grow and mentor them as disciples, then each of those two nurtures another two. And then each of those four multiplies again. You'll soon find there's an exponential growth. And I think that's the other side of this story, that it's not, God doesn't intend us to just stick with the ones and the twos. We start with the ones and the twos and from there the story grows. So I just want to leave you with that. Hope it encourages you. Hope it gives you some food for thought. Maybe it relates to our forthcoming healing ministry. I have no idea. I don't know why God put this on my heart at this particular moment. I only know it's there and I've shared it with you. So let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know that it's your desire that none should perish but that all should come into your kingdom. And so, Father, we know it's your desire that you want to see large numbers of people brought into the kingdom. And yet, Lord, there are times when you call us to deal with just the one or the two. Lord, help us to be faithful to whatever it is you call us to Lord, at times you call us to jobs that are difficult where we seem we're making, we, we think we're making no progress. So Lord, help us to overcome discouragement and just stay faithful to you. And Father, we commit the work of our church to you, especially next year. In the things we already have for children and young people and our home groups and whatever else, and in the things that we're planning. Lord, we ask that we will hear your voice and be led by you. And just because we've always done something in a particular way, Lord, help us not to be wedded to that forevermore, but to be ready to change if that's the way you call us. But Father, there is such a deep desire within us to reach out into the community. And for many years there's been a real lack of knowledge as to how you want us to do this. And so, Father, we pray that you will bless us as your people. Lord, may your kingdom grow. Put the people across our path that you want us to reach for you, the people who are crying out for love and for help. Help us to minister to them in your name. And, Lord, we ask that your kingdom will grow here in Blackheath and in the upper mountains and that it will be for the glory of God.